0: Welcome to Complaints on a podcast. I'm joined again by Heather. Hello, Heather. Hello, Daniel. And Claudia, of course.
1: Hello. We're
0: going to do a little bit of banter, like they do on Navara. So, Heather, how was your day?
1: Oh my goodness, I wasn't ready for that question. It's got to
0: be quick. This is how was your day?
1: It was. It was great. Okay, great. Claudia,
0: how was your day? Heather, that's enough. Claudia, how was your day?
2: Fantastic. How was your day, Daniel?
0: It was great. Thank you very much. Claudia, Claudia knows how to do it. That's how Navarra do it. It's like, how are you? All the better of seeing you. Great. Okay. Now onto the story. they just a very like, and that's what we've got to be like. So we we'll do it again. Hello. Welcome to Complaints of the Podcast. Heather, how are you?
1: I'm great. How are
2: you, Daniel?
0: I'm very well, Claudia.
2: I'm very well, thank you. How are you, Daniel?
0: I'm fantastic. Now onto our top story. Glasto, Glastonbury, the banning of the big lie. What do you make about that, Heather?
1: So it's interesting. We you've you've brought Navara in so so I think there's <laughs> very interesting things going on with Navara which is obviously one of our things is to slag off our competitor. Our biggest Yeah, competitor, yeah. I, right? mean, I don't know
0: about competitor. We we're, we're obviously much bigger channel than Navara. I feel sometimes like we're kind of you know sort of kicking this this small fish, you know, but Navarra, yeah, Navarra uh, get worse and worse. I, you know, I still like Navarra and I still watch them from time to time. They're on every night of the week now. So I, right. it's impossible. I don't think anyone watches it as much as they used to, but I still watch some of it. But then but l- let Nevada. me do
1: what's happened with Navarra first before we get into like how fucked up they are. So Michael Walker, who is what, like the main presenter of their their shows now, is he?
0: Yeah, pretty much.
1: Right. So he tweeted something like, I haven't seen the big lie and I'm not really into like banning things. But, you know, it's a really terrible title. At best, it's a bad choice. Um, And at worst, it's dot, 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 something like that. Right. Um, Which I guess is a kind of passive aggressive way of saying the people who made this film are anti-Semitic. Because the title is a it has multiple reference points. But one of the reference points is to Nazi propaganda.
0: Yeah, so he was like, um, I don't I don't want to clamp down on open discussion or I don't usually clamp down on open discussion. Uh, so implying that he is now clamping down on it because yeah. of the name of the documentary.
1: Well, the things which are interesting is like following up from that Aaron Bastani quote tweeted um, Mick Hucknall, I think it was from Simply Red who's just turned into a kind of centrist dad of the worst sort despite being in Red Wedge in the 1980s slagging off the film saying it's a bad title and that kind of thing.
0: Well that's only what people are only slag off that because no one's seen it.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's not seen it. So Aaron Bustani's like, how come there's all these middle-aged men slagging off a film they haven't seen? Um and it's like, do you not realize the guy you employ to do your main show did that yesterday? Can yeah, you not, like,
0: not join not the dots? So that's the thing. That's yeah Bastani's clever like that. But I was thinking like like dissing the title of a book coming from Navara Media, which is possibly the worst name for a thing I've ever, I don't, I still don't understand what Navarra media, like where that name comes from, because it's a, it's a town in Italy, right? That's, that's all I know about, yeah, Navarra. And so I know if you're like from Navarra and you come across Navarra media and you're like, oh, wow, there's a whole YouTube channel about my town. And then you go on it and you're like, this isn't, this isn't about the local council elections in Navarra. (laughs) But I was thinking, I I was reading about Hitler, because, you know, obviously we're big fans of Hitler on this channel. And Hitler went to Italy once, actually, and uh, someone asked him, uh, "What's your favourite town in Italy?" And he said, "It's Navarra, Medea. Oh, <laughs> I wrote that. Isn't that good? It's that's, that's how. That's my preparation for this podcast was writing that joke. <laughs> So today we're not we're not going to talk about Glastonbury the whole time. We're going to talk about the really important things that are happening in the world, which are not, as you might think, nukes in Belarus or the Bank of England creating a recession to fight inflation. No, the important things are, of course, uh, what sign you have on your toilet. That's that's important, and uh, who can play in your sports team. Uh, so uh, <laughs> let's get into it. Today we're going to we're going to solve the trans issue trans issues multiple issues that people have with trans people. We're gonna solve them all in this handy guide, starting by looking at an article from Spiked, which I'm just gonna find now, which I have up on my computer.
1: By Julie Birchall called Beware the Wolves in Use Clothing. The trans women in prison's route has exposed the sheer derangement of the modern left.
0: Do you read Spiked? I yeah, only I read, read these articles when you send them to me and I, I should read it more because it's incredible, this publication.
1: I don't I don't read Spiked actually, but the one which I do read regularly now is a Jewish chronicle for my sins to try and keep up. Because I think there is a value in looking at these right-wing publications, what they focus on and how.
0: Uh, yeah, because this, this article is incredible, right? Um, so it starts off, trust the Italians to know what a woman is. The land where the twin peaks of femininity are the mama and the sex bomb, has a separate jail exclusively for trans women. Could this be the answer to the gender-bending get-into-jail-free cards that are currently causing a kerfuffle here in Britain? I like the the whole thing of it, like, the language in this, like, calling it a kerfuffle. It's all kind of, like, tongue-in-cheek, but then just, like really, really, really seriously wants basically trans people to all be killed. It's kind of like mad.
1: Well, let's start, let's just point out that she starts with the classic binary um, of the Madonna and the Whore. Yeah. Which is a nice way for her to start an article which is allegedly feminist.
0: Yeah. So she goes on, uh, converted from a former woman's prison in 2010, this jailhouse rocks. Not only is it near Florence, handy for those art-appreciating days out, but it also has a library, recreation centre, football pitch, and agricultural land, which produces olive oil and wine. Inmates have their own rooms for those private little feminine toilet moments, such as rinsing one's scrotum, and a given personal development plans, according to the Herald. I don't know if these are about hair, makeup, and wardrobe, which trans women seem to believe or all you need to change sex, or something more profound. But anyway, it sounds about as boutique as a penitentiary can be. I bet they've even got a couple of those big seashells on the reception desk.
2: I I have to mention, I have to mention the elephant in the room here, right? For those private little feminine toilet moments, such as rinsing one's scrotum, right? There's this whole vibe to this woman's worldview and people like her, where they act like women are these pure clean beings and we would never do anything gross we don't sweat we don't have to wash ourselves like it drives me mad like it's so sexist in itself like that notion that we're just like these naturally like clean and wonderful people like do you feel that heather like it just makes me feel weird
1: yeah so i think there's a fixation fixation on biology that we've got on bodies which is definitely there but also you're absolutely i think part of the problem is like the way in which a lot of men relate to straight men relate to women is through this idealized idea mm-hmm. of, of women's bodies as if we kind of, they're not real. They don't swear. They don't, you know, we don't go to the toilet. Even it's, it's, it's so fucked up. There's a poem from centuries ago, which does this where this guy is like idealizing this woman and suddenly realizes that she has all these kind of, Bits of her body, which are just like you know, not in his imagination, and he gets totally shocked and totally disillusioned, and it's a it's a terrible thing because it means you can't have you can't have good relationships between men and women if there's that idealisation happens.
0: Birchall goes on: in the current trans debate, both sides see their humanity and dignity disrespected by either of the options on offer. Make people with penises use male facilities, even if they answer to Penelope. Allow female facilities to be swamped in male genitalia. Yet whenever a third way is suggested, like the Italian prison solution, it's notable that the trans activists get very cross indeed. This is telling. If they really fear male violence in public conveniences or other sex segregated spaces as much as they claim, A third option would be perfectly acceptable to them. But if their desire is to gain access to women's private spaces, then they will hold out for that option. I like that the dual meaning there of private spaces is good.
1: Well, I think just briefly again, the fixation on biology is apparent, but the thing which this adds in is basically saying that the only motive that you can have is not interest in trans men. There's always a fixation on trans women, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the only motive yeah. you can have for being a trans woman is to get access to women's spaces. It can't, and for dodgy motives, you can't want them just because you you are a woman and therefore you should be in them. That is completely written out of possibility.
2: Yeah, I mean Heather, I think like we we've we've spoken about this before, but also the the crazy thing is that like in in a woman's toilets, you go in a cubicle, you're in a private cubicle, you're not you know you're not looking at other people's genitalia that's not something that happens I think there's this weird mythology surrounding what goes on in a in a woman's toilet which is just not true it's it's I'm sure it's the same as the men's you just go in and go to the toilet
0: (laughs) the imagery is yeah is is just someone basically taking a piss in the corner of The toilet, right? With a penis, right? Just or just, or up. just
1: washing their genitals. Yeah just, like... wa- yeah, just what? Yeah, Just
2: right there. Yeah, <laughs> in the sink. Like, I would yeah. be just as disturbed should someone with a vagina do that in front of me in a public toilet.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. But I take offense. It's basically about people with penises just can't go to the toilet. They're just like, they just like this have issues. They just, as soon as they get in there, they just like strip off, just start pissing all over the place, and you know that. Some people like that, but you know, most people aren't, and and that's a problem we need to solve together. I mean, this is thing. I think it's the same thing with all the stuff, like the stuff about prisons. Like th- this is something you know, I I think about often with with me too. When me too sort of came about, what clocked in my mind was like basically my whole life there'd been a joke that about casting couches and it was kind of funny, right? Oh, yeah, I wonder what she had to do for that job. And it's like, yeah, oh yeah, that's kind of funny in this abstract way. But then hearing someone's personal story about actually being confronted with that situation, is like, oh, fucking hell. And it's the same thing with prisons. It's like, well, you know, the prisons, well, it sounds pretty good, but it'll probably get raped in the toilet or whatever. whatever. Like, like rape is part of the punishment basically in a male prison, it's like accepted. Like, I don't know how widespread it is, but it's it's so, certainly seen as being basically a given right and it yeah, certainly does really happen
1: good, there's a right? really good video by a pop culture detective where he looks at the way in which the rape of men in prison is used as a as a gag in in television I'm yeah so. yeah it's
0: it's yeah it's a gag yeah i mean as soon as you bring up prison it's the it's the first thing that people talk about and it's like what what but what it does is it means it's just no one is concerned with that issue about solving that as a problem like the, It is a a widespread problem across prison systems in the world. And it's like, but what can we do? Let's try and tackle it. You know, let's even like actually just, you know, someone who's involved in the government, you know, looking after this sort of situation, actually question them about it and say, can we not look into this issue? And that's the sort of thing here. It's like the idea is that, well, obviously, if you send someone to prison and they've got a penis, they're going to rape people. It's like, well, why is that? Kate, K- yeah. why are prisons such a terrible place for people in general?
2: Absolutely, yeah. I mean there's also this thing that a lot of trans folk people, and I don't know, um, obviously I'm from the LGBT community myself, and you get quite a lot of this in the community, so there's quite a lot of crossover between like biphobia and transphobia, and my theory is that it's about proximity to a penis, yeah. right? Because it's like, um, so for example, you might receive biphobia because it's the idea, that old notion that a woman is tainted forever and stained by a penis in some way. And, and you know, trans women are old. Oh, the fact that they might have a penis is like stained and tainted them. It's that idea, isn't it? Of like pure womanhood, which doesn't involve any sort of penises. Like it's kind of, it's weird. It's really obsessive. Like I just find that odd as someone who's cisgender and bi i've noticed that and it's helped me understand a lot of my trans friends when they kind of talk about this stuff because it's like okay yeah i can see that whole situation
1: it's really odd and if like you look back at early feminist stuff like second wave 1970s 80s a lot of it was about saying look a lot of power is attached to penises or symbolically to the phallus and that mm-hmm. that you know there was lots of psychoanalytic stuff around that and it seems like that is giving that that power back yes it's kind of saying that this this is this the penis or the phallus or whatever you want to kind of say whether it's real or it's symbolic is so powerful that it can taint someone that it can damage it's kind of bizarre that feminists would want to concede that power rather than to challenge it and and to just say well this is just a bit of someone's body right and yet it's infused with a lot of power in society but that's something we need to kind of question rather than to
0: reinforce. Yeah. Birchall goes on to say, Only a very silly person indeed believes that trans women are only ever shrinking violets who just want to press wildflowers and urinate sitting down. Many of them are dirty great bruisers who could easily work as bouncers if the bottom fell out of the sissy porn market. Make no mistake, trans rights, is the first liberation movement both inspired and fueled by pornography. Various ages and trials of a woman's life can be can be sexualized, from the trans predilection for dressing up, uh, for dressing up as little girls, to the ghastly fake babies, don't ask, which allow men to ape gestation and childbirth. Lesbians, of course, are the most loved and hated targets of these autogynophiles which is thoroughly in line with porn-scored desires. It's a difficult paragraph to read. It's hard to follow that.
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously, we've got the only a very silly person, that kind of tone. It's like, it's comedic, and then it goes into some of the most awful implications imaginable. It makes you very confused. It's also, you know, the idea that only a very silly person indeed believes that trans women are only ever shrinking violets who just want to press wildflowers and urinate sitting down. Is, Is the the assumption here that that's what cisgender women are like because can't we be like dirty great bruises right and what does that mean for I'm kind of like going a little bit off this but you know cisgender lesbians who are more butch presenting they're the ones who are going to be also hurt by this right this policing of femininity and it's just it hurts everyone I can't understand who it benefits at all
0: well, and the the porn angle is is wild because it's like people that like <laughs> it's like thousands of years people have have, have been trans, right? Yeah, in, inside or outside, depending on the society that they're in, right? But it's this idea that the the whole movement is basically just some men's. I don't. It's almost like conspiratorial. Like there's some men at the top of like secretly trying to control society to make it reflect their pornographic desires. Because, you know, like, we're going to get loads of, like, sort of people in prisons and off and all around the w- world in jobs and offices all, like, dressed up for our sissy porn fantasies so that wherever we go, we can be aroused. It's it's kind of incredible.
1: It is. I mean, this is the thing which I really struggle to understand, what exactly she's saying about pornography, what the argument is. Because clearly pornography, now and before, forever, has has basically um, been male fantasies about women right i mean that it's it's more complicated than that i don't want to you know there's clearly um, porn that women make themselves that women like to consume that there's gay porn it isn't that reductive but to a great uh, extent gay porn is of,
0: still is still male fantasies
1: yeah but not about women in quite the same way but a lot of a lot of male porn is is just male fantasies about women which are very damaging and very constraining and very you know but in some ways, I think trans identities disrupt male fantasies. They do about sex. In some ways, this is a movement which is against those kind of horrific things that we see embedded in a lot of pornography. And I, that's one of the reasons why I think as feminists, it's this is a good thing that the ideas about gender and sexuality are becoming way more complicated. We should really, on purely selfish grounds, this is a good thing. I think as as feminists who've always wanted gender to be unstable and not to determine what happens in our
0: lives. I think that's a good way of framing it. You should write an article about that, about how it's it's all to the benefit of you. Because that's that's what these sort of people respond to. It's got to be about where are my rights? What are my benefits from this situation? Yeah. If you frame it like it, that, Yeah, point,
1: Other other benefit, you don't have to queue for the toilet anymore.
0: Yeah, that that's a worry that I'm that I am a bit concerned about with trans rights, which is that I'll no longer no longer be like the the easy access toilet for men, you know, at festivals and stuff, and we'll all have to join the the terrible line. So yeah, um, if, I don't know how we can get around that. I mean, maybe oh, just have more toilets. Yeah. <laughs> In general. What would have
1: happened if men were queuing ages ago? Was we would add more toilets? Because when yeah, we were probably were queuing, true, yeah. time was not seen as important. We were just told to queue. But also yeah. like with the with the toilet thing,
2: something just came into my head as well. Like if you're like out with your dad. So when I was a little girl, my mom and dad are separated. If I was out with my dad, the sort of stress and danger that it kind of puts you in as well, that I couldn't be taken into the men's with him. He couldn't come into the women's with me. It was having to find a woman who looked safe to say, would you, you know, help? my daughter and make there sure she's There might be a trans right. woman.
0: They're they the dangerous, like, most it's... dangerous people.
2: <laughs> right, that's it. I handed had to be straight into their clutches. Like, it just, it doesn't make any sense. Like, it doesn't make people safer at all.
0: Yeah. And I think we talked about, I mean, the toilet thing is just wild. I mean, so many places, particularly sort of smaller, you know, independent places that you want to keep going, they, they only have one toilet. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Just like... yeah. This I only very, have one
1: toilet you know, at my home, to be honest. But I let I let men use it as well.
0: Oh yeah, I think I think I wanna I wanna get it to when um what's his face? Um who's the guy that was burning pride flags the other day?
2: Oh Lawrence Fox. Yeah,
0: yeah. When he when he starts installing two toilets in his house. Did you did you see the thing about I can't remember anyone's name? Who's the guy? Ga- I mean who's the guy from the one show?
1: <laughs> Which one?
0: Um, the main Adrian, guy, Adrian, Adrian,
1: Charles. Adrian
0: Charles. Yeah, he wrote an article about the fact that he has a urinal in his house, like installed <laughs> in. So he's got a toilet, and then next to it, he's got a urinal. Uh, and then Will Self, there's an article that you should definitely read by Will Self, which is all about uh, Adrian Charles's penis. Based on that article, it's, it's, it's really good. Some someone someone else wrote an article. The way I got it, and someone like wrote an article in the Independent or something, saying. This career-ending article by Will Self. I was like, no, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) let's not get too distracted. uh...
1: (laughs) But We'll put links to all these amazing articles in the description (laughs) below this
0: video. Yeah, it's actually far more interesting than this fucking... This argument... The whole thing with this argument, right, is, like, giving it traction the way that, say, Starmer and, and, you know, the Labour leadership are now. Is is you're just you're losing the battle by by taking this stuff seriously at all, right? Because if you, if you're contesting like people's basically allowed to exist in spaces, then you're already you've already lost the argument. It, sh- it shouldn't be like I was thinking about this. Well, let's let's flip it, right? I was talking about like my male fantasies about Julie Birchall, you know, having a job in a workspace with me. I'm like, that's, you know, that's my male fantasy about like having women in the workspace. Maybe she gets like stuck in the photocopier, like bent over. And then, you know, I can like, (laughs) but it's like, basically maybe women shouldn't be allowed to have jobs. It's too, you know, it's too tempting, right? I think maybe women should just stay at home. And and let's discuss that. Sorry.
1: It's not the Jordan Peterson argument. Yeah, you know, yeah it is. Like, women yeah.
0: shouldn't wear makeup. It should, it should be, they should be covered, actually, I think, <laughs> entirely. Stay at home. Uh, certainly shouldn't have jobs in the fucking media and write articles in newspapers. Let's discuss that endlessly and endlessly, questioning whether women should be allowed to do this or that. And you can see, right, even just having the argument, you've already taken, like, 100 steps back.
2: Yeah, that's I my mean, I- point, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying because I'm part of the LGBT community and I, like I follow a lot of different people from the community and people who aren't really following politics have suddenly like because of Keir Starmer's silence on this, there is like genuine fear and disgust and anger. And I've seen so many people saying never, like I will not vote for him now at this point because they're not people who follow politics, but it's like their lives,
0: you know? Yeah, it's actually it is actually interesting how that has, has really cut through with a lot of people. Um, because it is a, it's just a very clear-cut thing, I think, that people could get their head around, or, or some people, <laughs> not Julie virtual. No, but genuinely,
2: uh, I don't think they're trying to convince us that the public are like really transphobic, but I think if it was explained in a way that wasn't awful, I don't think the public would care. Trans people have existed in society for such a long time. You know, it hasn't just because it's suddenly become this new scaremongering thing in five years. Well, trans people have been around
1: for ages and ages. You know, it's. I don't think yeah. people are actually that that are trans- no. What what is apparent is that a certain portion of the media classes and the political class, and that they're projecting that onto other people who are, yeah. you know.
0: But it's also it's a useful it is a useful argument because it's it's an area that it basically allows yeah you have this debate and p- people like starmer can kind of take a position that isn't quite the tory position rather than moving basically moving the debate onto something that is much more important in terms of like what he's actually going to do to change the country the fact that he refuses to engage in in other topics means that he he's like sort of allowed allowed this kind of conversation to to grow right basically like that's the problem with not being a leader in the way that Starmer isn't. He doesn't ever dictate the national conversation. He just allows it to be dictated to him, and then and then reacts often by not doing anything. I think he's partly a because passenger he's in it. Yeah. Yeah, and it takes him ages to, like you know, he has to drink for about a week, and then when he comes out of his stupor, he'll make, he'll release like a statement. But yeah, it, it's it's totally counterproductive. And and then the things are like always being smart because like he's he you know that that he he won't let the Tories attack him on this stuff. Tories wouldn't be able to attack him on this stuff if he was leading the debate by moving into uh, into areas that the, the Tories don't want to talk about. They're uncomfortable for them. Yeah. Should we get back to this thing? Yeah,
1: I guess Let's get everything. back to Jimmy.
0: films and television shows set in prisons have always been popular. <laughs> I don't realize just saying that one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay um yeah we can all agree on that great i'm glad we found a consensus uh whereas men in prison from cool hand luke to Sh- to the shawshank redemption uh will be portrayed as undergoing some spiritual journey female jails in tv and film are all about the sex
1: she's really weird about prison dramas i mean like the two prison dramas that have most effect on me is oz which is a HBO drama um, in a, set in a male prison, and Orange is the New Black, which is set in a women's prison at Netflix. And I think they're the opposite, actually. There's a huge amount of focus on sex in the male prison drama. Um, there's also focus on male bodies, actually, male physique. There, it, it, the, the men aren't really sexualized in that in lots of interesting ways. And it's really, it's a really great drama. It's one of the best shows of all time. I definitely recommend it. But in a way, the, the the sex in Orange and New Black is really different. There isn't there isn't rape happening routinely every week. There isn't the violence, the physicality. It's much more kind of nurturing relationships. These women do go on really long journeys, um, psychologically, through the the seasons. I think it's just she chooses examples. She has to go way back. What she's doing, call Hand Luke. I mean, what is that? That is like. Was oh, that 1960s I don't even know that's an old film if that's what you're going back to to try and prove your point you probably aren't really you probably haven't got a good it's, point yeah
0: is porridge about a spiritual journey I can't remember how it ends I mean they often are they, at the end they have
1: things. a they have a um, a um sequel called going straight to porridge oh, right. Por- I don't Por- know about
0: that Deep knowledge, the, deep horridge.
1: was a an old sitcom on BBC. or wasn't it ITV. I can't even remember. Set in a prison, and it was just like a. It was Ronnie Barker, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, it was like just some lads mucking around in in prison.
1: <laughs> yeah, there was no sex, sex in that, and it, it was a very kind of family friendly sitcom from when I was growing up. I guess. 17- yeah, it's kind of a
0: weird. You wouldn't see that now. <laughs> No. family friendly prison sitcom all right so we're not going to read all of this article i think we basically get the idea of it but um i mean there's lots of great languages there obviously we'll put a link to it and you can you can read through all the rest of the uh there's, there's some stuff about nappies that might might pique your interest uh heather have you got anything else to say about this uh, this article
1: um just that she links it obviously to culture wars and social class she describes like Labour Party women who who support trans women as having luxury beliefs that help their party to lose the Red Wall, which is a horrible construction of the Red Wall as if these are people who, you know, as if there are no trans women and and trans men in the Red Wall, as if there's no different identities, as if it's it's a very kind of weird construction of the white working class, which is often in Julie Birchall's work. And we need the public intellectual voice of David Bedeal to remind us of this.
0: Yeah, it's a good, good segue. Uh, yeah, so uh, we can't end the podcast without talking about David Baddiel a bit. And he's uh, he's back. He's back again. He's transformed once more. He's uh, talking about Madonna. He's a bit like Madonna. He, he goes through various stages. Sometimes <laughs> that includes being a black man. But anyway, let's have a look at his uh, latest article. David Baddiel... <laughs> I am not ashamed to be a heterosexual male in the new statesman the comedian on becoming a public intellectual and wanting to be more than the voice for britain's jews like, he's, he's already the voice for britain's jews he's done that you know but now he's going to be you know that's that's not even an ambition for him anymore totally got that in the bag now he's going to move on to something even greater public intellectual uh I was gonna say um Heather we we need to get our own we need to get our own public intellectual. So I was thinking maybe we could make you into public intellectual somehow it seems seems fairly easy <laughs> judging by this article. I just need to take a picture So uh, the picture on the um on the article is uh, David Badil in a forest somewhere sort of just looking up at the horizon you know got high high minded thoughts, high ideals, way about you look into the clouds he's a dreamer. He's he's seeing the big picture. He's he's above the the fray of uh, of our everyday thinking, and he's he's got some great vision, uh, which uh, I'm sure he's he's going to share share with us at some point. Although not in this article.
1: Yeah, like obviously, I'll go to a forest sometime and get a photo. Yeah, but yeah, I, yeah. Well, like, I can add to my. We'll try to aspire to be a public intellectual.
0: Yeah, I think we should go. And uh, just whatever sort of picture David Bedille gets, we should go and get a picture of you doing the same thing and <laughs> just make a whole collage. We should make an art show. I David think we should Badil. get a
2: pondering picture of you at the top of Rochester Castle, staring yeah. out in thought. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, yeah, we'll do it in Rochester. Um, we're, yeah. we're all going to Rochester, by the way. Uh, yeah. And uh, we've now got a reason to do it, which is great. Make heaven po- mending. Yeah, we're gonna make
1: podcast
0: Yeah, yeah, intellectual, public intellectual. Uh, the other thing you gotta do is write a book. I mean, David. Oh well, you, I know you've already written books, but yeah, gotta write a book with you on the cover. basically a book about yourself. Okay. Uh, called Jews Don't Count, <laughs> <laughs> which is what. Uh, yeah, I was thinking talking about titles. Jews Don't Count. That sounds like something Hitler would say. But we were saying, well, what would your book be called? And we were saying, my struggle, right? That would be a, <laughs> the best. But it would be a good title for Heather's book. She has had a sort of struggled with the Labour Party for a long time, yeah. and and then we thought that would be quite funny. And then we thought, actually, no, it would be a really good title for the book. It would actually work.
1: Yeah. So, like, so we were saying, weren't we? We were talking yesterday, Claudia, and we were saying that the only way to deal with this is to double down. So yes, I am going to call my book the same title as Hitler
0: called his book. <laughs> Let's
1: give no <laughs> quote to these people.
0: I mean, that, you... You know, it, make, it makes a lot of sense. But I'm do you remember Heather,
2: when you used the word struggle in a tweet once and yeah. that, that quite literally did happen, the accusations that you were deliberately using the word, the single word
1: struggle
0: yeah. uh, as some sort did you, of wait, did you say struggle yeah. or my struggle?
1: I think I probably said my struggle in a sentence without even thinking about it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it became a whole thing on Twitter. Yeah, Yeah, you you came in to defend me. You were searching Hitler's speeches for things that these other people are saying, which was bizarre.
0: (laughs) I mean, that's a great title. My struggle with the phrase my struggle. (laughs) Um. Anyway, should we talk about this David Baddiel thing? I don't have much to say about it. He's a, he's a public intellectual now, apparently. So it says, um, uh, Baddiel is positioning himself as a public intellectual for modern Britain. He was recently named as a visiting professor at Oxford. It's it's incredible. I don't know what he's visiting on.
1: Presumably racism. He's an expert on racism now.
0: Yeah, but no, he's moving beyond that now. Oh, yeah. Trans rights. Atheism. Badil is heavily quoted in the article, uh, talking about himself. He says, nobody has had the celebrity journey that I have, he mused. (laughs) Badil, who took from Thatcher era counterculture comedy clubs an insistence on being solidly authentic, has a malleable knack of producing what the public wants. He has changed in step with a revolution in expectations that has turned the relationship between Britain and its entertainers upside down so yeah it's um hard-hitting article about David Baddiel this uh, <laughs> where the uh the author of just uh just said oh uh, I'm a public intellectual now oh are you David Baddiel great <laughs> let me praise you for being that
1: yeah let me help turn you into one I mean this article is so sycophantic like someone says something but you don't say he said this you say he mused Like, that captures this idea of someone who's just a thoughtful, thinking, intellectual person. And then it's really weird, because he's solidly authentic, but he produces what the public wants. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even make sense. And you've also got Badil's arrogance. Nobody has had the celebrity journey that I have. Well, actually, I think a lot of people have. I mean, take his, like, nemesis, Jeremy Corbyn. Jimmy Corbyn's had quite a celebrity journey, really. Um, Had to endure horrific kind of attacks. And I was thinking about celebrities. I've been doing research about McCarthyism and looking at celebrity journeys, if you want to use the J word there. People were, you know, they they couldn't work for ages. They couldn't travel out the country for decades um, because they were classified as traitors because of their political beliefs. And sometimes not even their political beliefs, sometimes a meeting they went to when they were younger. It's it's crazy. The the idea that he he went from doing blackface to being an expert on anti-Semitism and writing a book about why isn't believing God is some kind of epic celebrity journey, is insane.
2: But what is I still can't get my head around like maybe it's just because I don't know his early career, but what is this this fabled journey that's so exciting? He was just part of the kind of lad culture comedy thing right football stuff and then at some point decided that oh it's become difficult again to talk about being a man and be a lad so he's sort of rebranded himself what's this journey i still am i misunderstanding it
0: no that's that's it (laughs) you got it (laughs) uh there's not really any journey to be honest um he just uh he well, I guess it's what that he was a comedian and now he talks about important things and he's a public intellectual. And so not nothing's actually happened, but to make that have any sort of sense, you have to say, well, it must be a massive journey of taking place because uh, you know, it's a big leap from one to the other. But really, yeah, he he I don't know. he's basically he discovered um that he was um he was Jewish or that he that it was important to him that he was Jewish. That suddenly became uh, something that he thought about a lot. And uh, and then he was like, that's why Jeremy Corbyn can't be prime minister, basically. Um, but yeah, um, let's just get a few more of the, of the quotes from from deal So he says... Um,
2: well, there's a bit I like. It just amused me a lot. In the early 1990s, there was a moment where you could find a way of being honest about what it was to be male, to be a man, and to be funny about it. And my question is, when has that not been a thing that men have been able to do, and male, like male comedy? Why is he acting like he's some sort of revolutionary
1: person we who stood up? Here. We have a a male comedian in this podcast, right? right. Yeah, Daniel. Do you feel like do you do you have to deal with that impossibility of being honest <laughs> about being a man in your comedy?
0: Um, no, because. I'm 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 a nice man, and David Baddiel's not, and he's horrible, and he thinks that's intrinsically being a man is being a horrible person, and so he can't express that, and he thinks like, oh well, that's my authentic. But apparently, he's also very authentic, as the article says, uh, he's a truth teller.
2: <laughs> I have to ask though, I have to ask. There's a lot of references in this article to to David Bedil and his thoughts on porn. Can someone just sum that up for me? Like, what's that about?
0: So he did, well, I, the only time I saw this was he did an interview um, on Holocaust Memorial Day. Uh, and as always, our thoughts turned to pornography. I mean, I mean it's like, it's like, uh, that was awful. That was it's really the same awful. in, well, I mean, it's just like the article we read and Spiked, right? I don't know. I mean, it's um, basically, he's a comedian from the 90s. I mean, he's a comedian from any time, like stand-up comedians, talk about things that are embarrassing, things that people generally don't talk about. So he talks about porn, uh, May I don't know, maybe a lot. But certainly- He, he about how much
1: he enjoyed porn. Yeah. That was, I think that was the thing. And this is the weird thing is that they pivot in this Holocaust Memorial Day interview. They very briefly discuss the Holocaust. Then they talk about Jeremy Corbyn <laughs> at greater length. Holocaust then they, is
0: boring. Then they, talk
1: about, <laughs> then they talk about pornography and like, have you had to reevaluate your own commitment to the enjoyment of pornography? In relation to how women might feel about that, it's really weird as an interview.
0: Well, they're trying to catch him out. You see, this is the kind of woke. See, the problem with the deal is that he totally doesn't uh, get. Like, he's totally captured by this woke argument. He thinks that you have to be really woke, and what, and what, what he thinks by woke means that you can't say that you've ever looked at pornography in your life, or that kind of thing. Because that and that's his sort of understanding of where young people are, and so. And the journalist kind of plays on that by sort of asking him, you know, you've changed your views about a lot of things. Like you used to joke about pornography. Would you joke about that anymore? Uh, and he says that he wouldn't. Um, so maybe that. So maybe now he's thought about that a bit more. He's mused about that. And now he's coming back and he's saying, yeah, for me to be a man, I have to joke about pornography and I can't do that anymore. Um, but then he's going to write a book. I'm proud about that
1: interesting because pornography is really different now than when he was growing up right so uh, the internet's changed everything I mean pornography used to be like you had to get videos of people right
0: yeah you had to get down to the garage
1: yeah (laughs) and you had to sort of pass them around your mates at school and you had to like stay up late at night to see the red triangle films on channel four
0: well I don't know about those this is this is deep lunch (laughs) no No, red triangle films
1: yeah, if we don't have a red triangle film. that sounds
0: like conspiracy this is, theory
1: this is the great thing about having an intergenerational podcast <laughs> is that we each have slightly different pop we, can, culture. we can share
0: <laughs> porn throughout the generations
1: yeah okay. so there was this thing that channel 4 decided it was going to show some more sexual material it wasn't pornography but it was more sexual films They like it be late at night and because people were a bit upset about this they said we'll put red triangles on the corner of the screen Oh it's my memory of it. I haven't thought about this for a while. I know but that quite a lot of boys when I was growing up would stay up late to watch these things. But,
2: but Pink, that's Pink so trying... embarrassing because everyone would have known they were doing it. Well, They'd have to watch downstairs and stay up for oh it. Oh yeah,
1: so it would be like TVs in your room or or TVs downstairs you wouldn't be watching it in in the main room with your parents. You'd have to have a Oh yeah.
0: TV. Oh Claudia, no, that's not <laughs> <laughs> we we we. When I was a kid, we had a family computer. You, you, no one no one had their own computers. It was it was a it was a scary time. All right,
1: that's so, so frightening. This is computers, yeah. pretty
0: much. we yeah. just,
1: just TV. Stuff. Yeah, people didn't
0: have like TVs and uh, computers in their rooms in like the nineties and the noughties, No. <laughs> Uh, but the pink triangle is like a, a sign like for a sort of homosexuality, so did they have they like well, the pink triangle
1: The pink triangle, tri- triangle is <laughs> what the gay people had to wear in the concentration camps, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. I think your obsession with
0: Nazis. Yeah, so we or... could have the the, <laughs> the red triangle and the pink triangle. Um, was Red Shoe Diaries, that was what was on when I was a kid. Oh, what was that? David Duchovny.
1: Oh, David, Copley
0: has an interesting yeah. Oh, so this was like I think it yeah. was just before X Files. So I don't know. I guess he was quite a struggling actor, but he did this kind of weird. Um, it's kind of uh, sort of film noir, kind of Raymond Chandler type thing, but with 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 like tits in it occasionally. And so, you know, every every fourteen year old boy was like, "This is show that's got tits in it." It's channel Five. <laughs>
1: I mean there's a really interesting episode of the X-Files where I think you've got like David Duchovny Company watching porn as a reference point. There's obviously like, watching uh, Red
0: Shoe Diaries. That would be... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Scully, it's got tits in it. <laughs> the truth is out. There. All right, okay, let's let's end this podcast.
1: Let's do the final paragraph. It's my favorite paragraph. Oh, okay. <gasps>
0: <laughs> Badil might well have begun to come full circle. I will complexify who I am, Badil says. We contain multitudes, and I am trying to be true to who I am. He is considering writing a book called The Male Gaze. I am not ashamed to like football. I am not ashamed to like pop music. I am not ashamed to be a heterosexual male.
1: But you're right, he does leave out I am not ashamed to love porn. Um, so he yeah, obviously... It's implied.
0: That's what heterosexual male is.
1: Yeah. But yeah, this paragraph—it's all the pretentiousness. I mean, who the fuck says I will complexify who I am? In, is complexify even a verb? And also, it's meaningless. Like I'm we all—we're all complicated. We all.
0: No, have... but deal isn't. That's why he's got to complexify.
2: Right. we desperately trying to
0: complexify.
2: <laughs> Daniel, do you think it sounds like a, Ken- a Kendall Roy quote?
0: Um. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. I mean that <laughs> there's a man for you. You want to talk about men. <laughs> um oh, yeah. complexify is a verb, actually, Heather. So you've got a long way to go with your public intellectual, I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm gonna have to put you on some on some courses. Yeah. I mean, or maybe just, just a few more pictures of you in a forest. We'll probably cover it up, you know. Either <laughs> there way.
1: Be, there must be an e-learning module I can do how to
0: become <laughs> a public intellectual. <laughs> yeah well, we should set one up we could do like a youtube court masterclass with heather mendick <laughs> all right um guys too hot let's um yeah let's finish there
1: too thank you so much for listening thank you for sharing thank you for liking thank you for commenting thank you for subscribing thank you if you sign up to the patreon um and we'll see you next time
0: yeah thanks guys hey. Bye.